as this third wave is developing, you have the opportunity now, more than you've ever had before, to launch a brand new fintech serving the market in a brand new way. It's never been easier to innovate. And that means that there's tons of opportunities for job seekers, tons of opportunities for entrepreneurs who want to start these kind of companies. And for investors, there are huge opportunities across the board with tons of new startups who are developing really nuanced ways of tackling niche markets. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looking Forward, opportunities for job, career, business, and investment seekers. If that describes you, then this is the podcast for you. If you're a freelancer, a startup or small business, a well-established company, a nonprofit, or even someone thinking about a second or possibly a third career, this is for you too. You see, here in Looking Forward, we focus on global trends in the future, but most importantly, on the opportunities they're creating. Our guest experts will not only tell you about those opportunities, they will also give you some tips to help you take the first steps toward capitalizing on them. I'm your host, Jeff Ostroff. Hi, everybody. Did you know the financial services industry is undergoing what my guest expert calls a third wave? Even better, did you know that the fintech revolution that's driving this is and will offer lots of opportunities for those who possess all kinds of skill sets. Sound interesting? If so, you'll definitely want to hear what Dami Payne of Canopy Servicing has to say on this episode of Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. To learn more about Dami, listen to the episode and check the show notes. And please, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Okay, let's get started. Well, hi, Dami. Welcome to Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you on. The topic that you're an expert on is something that's discussed every day in the newspapers and on TV and radio. It's just become so common for people to refer to this, but if you go back 10 years, maybe not very many people were talking about it, and we'll get into that. And that is, of course, fintech. And Dami, you're an expert on the fintech space. How did you first get involved with this? So when did you get involved? What piqued your interest in it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it all really started for me earlier in my career where I first started in consulting. And I started working with larger institutions and just seeing the trouble that they had trying to innovate, trying to change, trying to move forward and the struggles that they had really to sort of bring anything new to market. And there were a wave of companies that were adjacent to me in the consulting space that would often come in and say, we have this new product or, or new solution. And rather than trying to take it to the bank, we're actually going to start our own financial service company to try and deliver it to customers. To me at the time, being someone who was so interested in what the new shiny thing was, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah, rather than trying to, to sort of win in the, in the big space, they're trying to go on their own and compete against some of these really large organizations. And that's really what sort of kicked off a little bit of the fire for me for FinTech. Um, and it's all really sort of grown since then. There's a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit within you. 
I think so. Yeah. Just wanting to take on the big guys, but also not being happy with the status quo. I think when you see the experiences that some of the large institutions offer to their customers and you sit there as a little bit of a technologist, as a little bit of an innovator, and you look at it and you go, can we not do better? That always made me look outside to kind of see what the ways were to do that. And also look inside to see what other ways that I can actually help some of these companies transition into more of a digital future. That is a great way to make a better product or a better service and not just rest on your laurels. It would be helpful if you would let our listeners know, Dami, what is your role right now at Canopy? We'll talk more about Canopy at the end, but what is your role with Canopy? Sure. So yeah, I work at Canopy, which is a fintech itself. And I'm a product lead, and I also head up client delivery. And my product's role is really focused around understanding our customers, understanding our future and our strategy, and helping us shape our product. And then on the client delivery side, that's really about, in the case of our product, which is quite a little bit of a white glove kind of service product, ensuring that customers can really get value out of that product and help them get started on our platform. Okay. Looking forward is in part about trends. And I mentioned earlier about how 10 years ago, maybe some of this stuff with fintech was out there, but it wasn't mainstream. I'm curious, and I know our listeners will be curious to know, as we look at the last few years, maybe the last decade, what trends are having an impact on the fintech world? Yeah, I want to take a step back and talk about, I describe as three waves of fintech. The first wave of fintech was really about regulatory change. So regulations being relaxed in some places, particularly in Europe, you had new regulation about the way that you access data. And the second part of that was about new technology. So there were all of these new technologies, cloud, sort of digital services, mobile, really kicked off the sort of first wave of fintech. And that predominantly benefited the incumbents, the, the sort of existing players in the financial services market. But there were some players, some newer fintechs came on to bolt on to some of those incumbents to allow them to access all of these new capabilities. And then you had the second wave. And that's when things really started to peak. And maybe you saw this about seven, eight years ago, where there started to be lots of new entrants into the market. And these were typically smaller companies. The term neobanks started to emerge Mm. for new banks that were coming onto the scene. And these new entrants benefited from like two trends. One being having a completely digital presence. So they weren't restricted by geography and they had really low cost to serve. So you had companies like Monzo and Revolut in the UK, um, New Bank in Latam, and that really offer a digital first experience. And the other trend that they sort of latched onto was a real focus on customer experience rather than just saying, Oh, we're a bank. We're going to do everything slowly. We can't handle things quickly. They said, what if we really focused on making the customer experience really delightful? So they focused on acquiring customers through really slick mobile apps and really great notification systems about your banking products. So these were like the second kind of wave of fintech. And the upcoming trend, which I refer to as like the third wave, is really about innovation in the actual products themselves. The second and the first wave really were all about taking the existing products and enhancing them and just delivering them in new mechanisms. But the third wave is about taking those products and thinking about how do we rethink them, reimagine them from the ground up to use technology natively. And then the second part of that third wave is a whole set of companies 
that are really focused on making that process of setting up a new financial tech company incredibly easy. So they're sort of building out financial infrastructure as a service. And before we had to think about how am I going to handle payments? How am I going to collect payments from customers? How am I going to think about wealth management? How am I going to think about connecting customer data? All of these uh, services that are now coming up make that process incredibly easy and allow you to plug and play with all of the different financial products to really create something bespoke for your customers. Um, so that's where the real exciting trend is happening right now. It's that third wave of destruction that's forcing us to, to reimagine the way we think about financial products and also to get those really complex products that you couldn't even have imagined before up and running really quickly. Wow. I want to come back to something you said earlier and weave it into what you just said. We think of the big traditional brick and mortar banks. And as you pointed out, sometimes they're slow to change. Mm -hmm. And so you have these innovators, the kinds of companies that you latched onto, the new kids on the block. Today, as you're talking about these trends, how much of this second wave and now the third wave are the bigger banks involved with? And how does that connect with the more innovative, smaller fintech organizations? Yeah, so the second wave was predominantly about leaving the incumbents behind. So it was all about, we're just going to do everything from scratch ourselves. We're going to completely just take the current proposition for banks and just create it on our own. So the second wave was about, well, you have a brick and mortar store. If that costs you X thousands of dollars, X hundreds of thousands of dollars to run every year, just for that one store. So they said, well, if we got rid of that, then our cost base completely goes away. Then we no longer have to worry about that. And guess what? We can pass that on directly to our customers. So clients were offering all of these like fees and basically taxes on customers to just use their services. And these newer fintechs came along and said, well, we don't have a brick and mortar presence. So we can take away all of those fees. We can reduce all of the friction that you had in previously interacting with your financial institution. And we can offer that service for less. So that second wave was really focused around some new companies upstarting and really challenging the incumbents. This third wave is a little bit more ambiguous in terms of like who will come out as the successor there. Because you've got real innovation going on in these technology products where you've got rather than a regular loan, you've got what's now known as BMPL, which is called buy now, pay later. The idea being that rather than offering a big personal loan, you can look to just finance a single purchase and pay off a single purchase in installments. So a good example of that is like you want to go buy a, a new fridge. And rather than paying for that fridge up front, you say, I'm going to pay for my $500 fridge in five separate installments of $100. And these BMPL companies are allowing you to do that. And again, that's a whole new model that didn't exist before. And it's only made possible because of the technology underneath it. Now, the question that comes is, okay, who does that benefit? Well, you've got all of these upstarts, like Afterpay, Klarna, who have started their own BNPL companies. But the likes of JP Morgan Chase, the likes of some of these other big banks are coming along and saying, well, we can offer that too. Where we can offer the same services. And the reason we can do that is because of the second part of the third wave, which is that there are all of these companies who are building out all of these services under the hood that make launching all of these innovative products really easy. And that's kind of where Canopy fits in terms of be being in that modern core for lending in particular, to allow anyone to launch a BMPL product. 
So you've got this third way, which is actually driving competition up incredibly because it's forcing both incumbents and new players enter the market at pace and launch new propositions at pace. Very well explained. Some people listening to this might be able to tell, not everybody, you are not speaking with a U.S. accent, whether that's a New York accent, a Philadelphia accent like I have, or the South or whatever, you are from the UK. And so you're a perfect person to ask this question. And in addition to that, I might add, and we'll put this in the show notes, you have a lot of experience in working with businesses and clients around the world. We have talked about big banks, new banks, small banks, whatever, and we're comparing them. What I'm curious about, and I'd like our listeners to learn from you, Dami, is the trends that you've been talking about in fintech. Are they similar all around the world in terms of how they're being rolled out? Is the United States different? Who's ahead? Who's not? Because we're not US-centric. We'd like to know what is happening around the world. So please share with us your perspectives on that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of nuance around the world, but I would say that the third wave of fintech is happening globally. So that being, you've got all of these companies with financial infrastructure as a service who are bringing up this new infrastructure that gets you up and running fast. And you've got all of this innovation around that technology to drive these new financial products. And that's happening everywhere. It's happening slightly differently everywhere, but it's happening everywhere. There are some regional differences, but talk about the UK in particular. The UK was a little bit ahead with this sort of third wave, because in the UK, we had this thing called the Open Banking Regulation, which essentially standardized the way that all of the banks in the UK can expose financial information. So when this started, tons of companies sprung up to say, well, oh, great, all this information about people's financials is now publicly available. I can now build my own service on top of that. And we also had a wave of infrastructure companies that came along and said, oh, great, let's make it even easier to get all this information out of those systems so that you can go and build your new financial product. So the UK kind of started a little bit ahead of this wave. And the UK, given that it's a little bit of a launch pad into the rest of Europe, became this fintech hotbed. So there's tons of fintechs operating in the UK. Mm. And then you had West Africa, because West Africa actually experienced a similar boom, in, in particularly in these financial infrastructure companies. Because in West Africa, while there is a, a small amount of, of physical infrastructure, everyone has mobile phones. So payments over mobile phones were a massive part of the economy. So if you wanted to utilize all of this mobile phone payment technology, you needed an infrastructure player to help you do that. So again, West Africa was also a little bit ahead of the curve because it was necessitated by the fact that everyone was using mobile phones, everyone was internet connected, and it meant that people started interacting with their financial services in a really interesting way. In fact, there are a lot of examples in West Africa of what's called mobile ATMs or human ATMs. So if you want to withdraw cash, you don't need to go to a hole in the wall. There are people who walk around rural communities who have a mobile phone, access to a secure deposit of cash, and they're able to function as ATMs using a lot of this core infrastructure. Wow. So yeah, there's lots of innovation going on in West Africa. And again, as this technology has been featured into some of the financial products, you're seeing a great wave there. And then on the other side, you've got the US. 
So you saw the benefited a little bit from some of this ways, but they've predominantly seen entry in terms of technology infiltrating all of these financial products coming in from Australia and New Zealand because there aren't as many big institutions there. So you've got companies like ClearPay and Afterpay who were originally coming from New Zealand and Australia, and they started innovating with their model predominantly because the risk level is way lower in, in those regions and there's a lot less competition. They developed these really successful models and then started bringing them all over the world to the US. And I think lastly, you've got LATAM, which again, doing a, a high level run through, we can dive into to any of these areas. Yes. Who experienced like a real issue with the ability to determine credit risk. Because in the UK and in the US, you've got credit scoring, which is fairly accurate. It's got a long history and it's been used for a long period of time to figure out how credit worthy you are. So you've got your FICO score, for example, in the US. In LATAM, there is no real FICO score. So how do you figure out if someone is credit worthy? You've got very little history on them. They don't live a massive digital footprint. So how do you figure out whether they're credit worthy? Well, then you had companies like Newbank who realized, well, what's a great predictor of how trustworthy you are financially? It's actually in your social network. So what they started to do is build a new model for assessing risk based on referrals. So if you were someone with high credit standing, you typically had other friends of high credit standing. Mm. So when you referred them, it acted like not a strong signal, but a weak signal that these people were of good financial standing. So there's been an explosion in LATAM of lending products, of wealth management products, based on this new wave of companies that are using technology as a core part of their product and assessing risk in a really interesting way in order to serve a market that was previously very challenging to serve. So I've kind of like spotlighted lots of different places in the world and, and we can dive into any of them, but there's tells you this third wave is having impact all over the world. Yes, Tommy, that is terrific. And I just want to say, I figured out that LATAM is Latin America. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm not used to hearing LATAM. If anybody else, hopefully they're not as slow as me, but when Dami's saying LATAM, it's Latin America. Okay, terrific. That was a great overview. And I know you can't hit every place. Dami, I just want to go back to what you were saying about West Africa and, and maybe about Africa in general. I met a really nice guy. I met him on Zoom who is from Nigeria. And he has been working on something which may now be way beyond what he told me at that time. He was making it easier for people who lived outside of Nigeria to send money to their relatives who lived in these rural areas within Nigeria. Is that part of what you've been talking about? Yeah. So remittances are huge, particularly in, in West Africa, the ability to, for people working in the Western world who want to send money back home to their family or to their friends. So it's been a massive sector in West Africa, but not just West Africa, also the Far East and South Asia. Lots of these companies have set up that offer sort of remittance services. So yeah, it's a massive opportunity and it's made way easier through some of these fintechs. I really hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If you are, can you please do me a small favor? Let some of your family members, friends, or others in your network know about it and about looking forward opportunities for job, career, business, and investment seekers. And hey, if you happen to like this podcast, my interviewing approach, or maybe even my voice, 
please consider checking out some of the many services my business provides. These include podcast hosting, creation and consulting, voiceovers, professional interviewing, production of audio or video profiles to help you sell your business, promote your services, increase your customers, or raise funding, and services to help you market to the large and growing seniors population. That's something I've actually written a book about. To learn more, please visit www.jeff-ostroff.com. You can also email me at jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. I heard you say the word opportunities, and that's a perfect segue for us, Dami. Looking Forward is a podcast whose primary focus is on opportunities. And when we're thinking about fintech, I'd love for you to let us know what opportunities you think it offers to any of the following groups. You don't have to name all of them when you're giving your response. These are all the audiences that we're reaching out to here and are listening. Job and career seekers entrepreneurs, freelancers, small businesses, or investors? Yeah, I think the answer is there's a lot of opportunity for investors, for job seekers, and for entrepreneurs. Because as this third wave is developing, you have the opportunity now, more than you've ever had before, to launch a brand new fintech serving the market in a brand new way. It's never been easier to innovate. And that means that there's tons of opportunities for job seekers, Tons of opportunities for entrepreneurs who want to start these kind of companies. And for investors, there are huge opportunities across the board with tons of new startups who are developing really nuanced ways of tackling niche markets. And even if you go beyond just special purpose fintechs, if you look to any single company has a really strong customer relationship, they are now enabled through this third wave to create financial products. So that means the likes of Target, who are launching their own financial products. Apple, who you may have heard of, launched their own buy now, pay later product. Google, anyone who has an amazing, strong relationship with a customer is now looking to go into this space and to start launching their own financial services. You could even add businesses to that as well. Let me just drill down a little further with that, Dami. There's an opportunity, let's say, to work with a fintech organization like yours, who's developing the architecture, whatever, the tools, the program. There's also, you're saying, an opportunity if you work for or with a financial institution, do you have to have high technology skills like you have? Or are you talking about the relationship element where the person doesn't necessarily have to have that? Could it even apply to marketing skills? So what kind of skills do people need? And where are the opportunities housed in the fintechs and your company, in the banks? Where specifically do you see those opportunities and what kinds of skills does one need? Yeah, so I'll answer the skills question first. So it's a real broad range of skills. Yes, you've got high-tech skills, engineering, products, design skills. You've also got marketing, sales, go-to-market, operations, all of that covered in terms of skills that these companies need. Because if they're serving other businesses, they need all these skills. If they're going to market and finding new consumers, they need all those skills. The second piece about who can actually take advantage of this, well, that's the magic of the third wave, is that 
it's actually everyone. Because the cost to launch a brand new financial service has never been lower and is continuing to get lower and lower, every single person that has a strong relationship with an existing customer base can now offer financial services. And there are companies like this that are doing it for merchants, companies doing it for consumer-facing businesses, companies doing it for shipping companies. Everyone that you can think of holds a relationship with a consumer can now offer them financial services to better access their good or their service. Wow. Where does AI fit into this, Tommy? Does <laughs> it fit into it at all? It does in some ways. So AI is emergent now, and we're starting to see some of the great use cases and products starting to spring up. I would say specifically related to fintech, it's around your ability to manage your customer base. Today, you want to run customer service. You need people there. People want to speak to a person who can answer their query. Chatbots haven't really worked today. But with these large language models, with these AI models, you're now able to replace potentially with an AI model. The other pieces around fraud detection and anti-money laundering, there's a huge opportunity to use AI models to really understand that space and to identify fraud risks that potentially would never have been found before. And the last bit is on the investment and wealth management side. People are able to do a huge amount of work today actively managing funds, but AI can come in and you may trust an AI rather than someone who's worked on Wall Street for 20 years to manage your money. So there are lots of opportunities there. And as we keep going, we're probably going to see more financial products have some sort of AI element embedded into them. But absolutely, there's a massive opportunity there. If I'm going to process what you said, AI could potentially take away some jobs in the financial services industry. You're also seeing, however, fintech itself is still going to be creating a lot of jobs. Absolutely. And I would challenge that AI is taking away jobs on net because, again, I think that there's going to be a lot of new financial products that are only possible because of AI. So customer service jobs may go down in some areas, but actually that might be a product in itself. I want to talk to a human and I want to be able to get a human's advice on something. And AI gives humans super productivity to could make more humans more valuable and create models where humans in the loop actually makes a lot more sense. We'll see how it plays out. But I'm a bit of a tech optimist. And I think that there's potentially going to be on net more opportunities as a result of AI. Excellent. And I like that point about, in a sense, if AI is doing some back office stuff, and I realize it can do more than that, where the need really comes in for humans is the interaction that they have in the front of the office yeah. versus in the back of the office. You started to get into another topic that we're so interested in here in Looking Forward, Dami, and that is we look forward because we're looking into the future. So what are you seeing through the rest of this decade? I'm gathering you're not seeing this as some sort of a passing fancy that fintech is really hot now. Something else is going to come along by 2030 and knock this right out of the box. Yeah, competition is incredible in the space right now because of how easy it is to enter into these markets. But the opportunities are enormous. And it's going to take people a bit of time to figure out what exactly are the best business models and the best products that are going to come as a result of this technology. So I think for the next decade, we're going to see a trend of an incredible amount of fintechs launching globally around the world. 
all trying to figure out new models of how to bring their financial product to market. And we're also going to see players who today only focus on one consumer-facing service or business-facing service also launch their financial products. So I think for the next decade, we're just going to see a massive rise of financial products all across the board. And we're going to see some fail, some models fail, other models succeed. And over time, we're going to launch and get to a point where we're exploring all of the models in the space. But I think it's going to take at least a decade for us to get there because there's just so much opportunity, so much potential for different products all across the board. Wow. I wanted to ask you, maybe more for my benefit than the listeners, I don't know, fintech players, does that represent one group and then you have financial institutions or another? Are they two different groups? The fintech players, maybe like Canopy, and then you have the banks and the financial institutions that we're used to? Or do the fintech players also include those who don't have brick and mortar that you were talking about earlier? Can you clarify that a little bit, please? Yeah. So I'd say like Canopy is a little bit different because I said Canopy is probably like a financial or fintech infrastructure company. And there's going to be loads of those, but we'll probably get to a point where there's a few dominant players in the market. And then on the other side, I think you hit something that I've probably been hinting at, but haven't explicitly said, is that I think my belief, and, and this is not original, but this has been said by Andreessen Horowitz, the VC, that I think every single company is going to be a fintech company. Every single company has the opportunity to launch their own financial services. And what that means is like the definition here of who is a fintech and who is not fintech is going to blur because every single person, your retailer, your packaged goods provider, your sports team, everyone is going to think about, well, how can I launch a financial product? And I think that's why it's so exciting is that fintech is going away from being a business to just being a business model. Wow. So now that these systems are in place and these tools are out there and you have companies like yours that are out there, you're saying almost any business that deals with another business or deals with consumers could potentially be considered a fintech because they have some sort of a financial product. Absolutely. Yeah. I can give an example. One is one that, that actually we work with and they're a shipping provider. And they provide shipping services to move goods from A to B. And often what happens with your shipping is that you actually need to pay for the full value of the goods that you ship before those goods even arrive on shore. You could be moving motor vehicles, for example. So you're moving a lot of whole brand new fleet of new cars and those can cost in the millions. And do you want to ship them from Germany all the way to the US? Well, you've got to pay for those up front. And most businesses don't have the working capital to do that upfront. So what they do is they take out a short-term loan to enable them to do that. And previously they would have to go to their banking provider, but now they can go directly to the shipping company and get a financial product directly from the shipping company. And because the shipping company is moving the shipment, they understand the market, they understand the risk, they can actually better price that loan than an actual financial institution. So if you can imagine that happening everywhere, right? So every single product, every single service, the person delivering that service has all the know-how, all of the knowledge on how that production function. So they can launch a financial service is niche and tailored exactly to that use case and can often deliver it at a far lower cost. That's the way. That's the thing that I'm anticipating taking over the entire world. Excellent. We don't just like to talk about opportunities on looking for a dominant. We'd like to give our listeners a couple or so tips 
from our expert on how they can take the first steps to seize upon those opportunities. So what would be a couple of tips, I know you could give many, that you would offer to our listeners, whether they're a job or career seeker, investor, entrepreneur, small business. And, and you might also think about if somebody is studying, maybe you'd recommend something they learn. Yeah, I think from an investor and business perspective, I think one thing is to get plugged into the ecosystem. So all of these companies are all working with each other at a large scale. They typically have conferences and gatherings and meetups where they discuss how they're all working together and partnering together. A big part of the third wave is it's definitely more integrated with all of these infrastructure providers, all of this innovation happening. They're all working really closely together. So as an investor, as a business, getting close into these ecosystems, understanding them, interacting with them is a great way to get started. On the job side, well, the skills in this new market are very varied. I don't think there's a particular skill set that you need, but there definitely is an understanding and an empathy to some of these customer problems that you need to build up. So that means understanding how these services are offered today, what some of the limitations that currently exist. So you know, going into your bank and understanding how their products work and speaking to people that work there, or if you're studying, looking at some of the way that these businesses operate today, and trying to understand, are there ways that you could potentially offer a better service if you were to focus on a smaller group or if you were to take advantage of technology in a larger way? I think that's how, as a job seeker, you can really start to navigate the space and understand the opportunities for you to potentially join some companies in operating in those spaces or as an entrepreneur, understanding how you can launch a new business. Excellent. Is there one way you might suggest among many, Dami, that somebody who's a job or career seeker would be able to identify companies that are emerging or already out there in the space of fintech? Yeah, I, again, I think because of the ecosystem, because they need to work collaboratively, it's about going to these events. A lot of them are fairly easy to get access to. And there are also lots of different companies who are offering some meetups. I know in the UK, for example, it's a company called FinTech Meetup that do free networking events where you can come along mm. and speak to people and know a little bit about the market and see who's doing what. And VCs often all over the US will open days for people to come in and talk about their new businesses and fintechs. And really it's about sort of taking a little bit of a risk and speaking to some entrepreneurs and, and really focusing on the ones that stand out to you. Okay. And VCs, venture capital firms. Venture capital oh, firms. Okay. This has been fantastic, Dami. I would love for you to give our listeners some information on how they could find out more about you, about Canopy, and whatever else you'd like them to know about. Absolutely. So yeah, you can find out more about me by two ways. One is on Twitter, which I'm probably most active. I'm at Dami Payne. That's D-A-M-I-P-A-Y-N-E. And you can also read some of the, the things that I write, what I do write um, at my website, which is econtechie.com. That's E-C-O-N-T-E-C-H-I-E.com. That's where you can find my writing. And you can also find out more about my company and some of the work we're doing. And that's at canopyservicing.com. Canopyservicing.com. Excellent. Rami, this has been great. It's exciting to hear about this new world of opportunities that you're talking about, certainly dramatic changes coming along with that. And hopefully our listeners will find their own path if they're interested to latching on to something here. 
There are a number of ways that we talked about that they could possibly do that. So thanks again for being our guest expert on Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. Thanks for having me again, Jeff. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. I hope you've enjoyed it and will benefit from it. And if you did like it, please share this episode with anyone you know who you think might also find it of value. And if you have any comments or questions about Looking Forward or any suggestions for future topics or guest experts, you can reach me at the website www.jeff-ostroff.com or through my email address jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Thanks.